Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to On Brand With. Through this podcast, I want to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences of me and my guests. Over the coming episodes, I will talk to a range of people I know and admire and ask them about the different ways they use their personal brand, the positive benefits it can bring and what best practice looks like in the real world. My guest for today's conversation is Wendy Nicholas. Wendy has a list of titles to her name. Let me run through some of her roles with you. She's a psychotherapist. She provides well-being services into businesses, supporting their teams in their well-being programs. She's a mindfulness practitioner and she specialises particularly in law, health, education and social care. And Wendy herself is a qualified social worker. Her specialism is supporting professionals who deal with trauma as part of their day-to-day roles and she works closely with criminal and family law barristers. Now for me this was the perfect start to the new season of On Brand With. We stopped back in March when we went into lockdown and this episode is being recorded in October when we are still feeling the impact of COVID and many are suffering from anxiety, the uncertainty which brings with it so many well-being challenges. Wendy has a line on her website that says therapy should be like going to the gym, the GP or the spa. It should be readily available for everybody. I hope today's conversation is a little bit of therapy for you. It certainly was for me. It helped me reflect and I took a lot away from it, as I hope you do too. Wendy's passionate about her subject and generous with her knowledge and insights. She is an educator and often shares this knowledge from the stage. So I started out by asking her if this was her first podcast. It is. It is. And I've I've been, it's interesting that a few people have said recently, you should, you know, you really should go on, on some podcasts. And I thought, oh, that would be lovely. And you know, sometimes when you think that would be lovely and then, and then the opportunities happen. That's what's happened, really. So, but but I can't think of a better one to start with. Oh, what a lovely <laughs> thing to say. Well, it's really interesting that you say that. And this is an unusual start for the podcast because it is more business-based, although it's about people's personal development. And as I said to you off mic, mm-hmm. it started very much at the start about being um, about brand mm-hmm. and I was trying to teach about brand, whereas I think it's morphed into more about people's stories mm-hmm. and how their stories are their brand and their experiences. So it's changed and it's morphed into something else. And I suppose as I've got used to it as well. But you said something there about you think, oh, that's a good idea. Or you put something out there. Mm-hmm. And I keep he- hearing people saying you put something out there into the universe mm-hmm. and it, it comes back. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I had a quote in my planner this morning that said from Oprah, something along the lines of, 
you will you will only get what you ask for and I think sometimes we have to put it out there don't we to receive yeah absolutely and I'm really conscious when I when I yeah I'm really conscious as we're having this conversation that that really turns some people off because Mm -hmm. they think that's a little bit woo woo Mm -hmm. and it's a bit I always think of it. I don't know why I have this thing in my head of somebody going to light my eyebrows and manifested them. <laughs> like just like you can manifest anything you want, which, you know, as a real Yorkshire woman, I'm not sure that's the case. But I am sure. Uh, for me, it really is business as well. So to me, I, it's not about, well, we have to work really, really hard to get the things we want and we have to be hustling all the time. It's that there's so much out there. There are so many opportunities. There are so many uh, wonderful things that are happening and, and things that we could be doing in business and ideas. Actually, sometimes the challenge is to really narrow it down to what is important to me? What mm. what do I think I want to do? What would bring me joy? Mm. Not just what am I scared of not doing yeah. in what my business. What would give me joy? What How would bring often? me joy in my business? And then, then when you think about those things and nail them and write them down, I think it's not that they suddenly manifest from the universe. I think that you notice them, you take those opportunities, you focused on them. There's an NLP, is it your reticular? I can't remember the phrase. Oh, now. don't ask me reticular to remember an actual. Activated. There's a part of your brain. It's it's that thing when if you buy a red mini, then oh, we, we filter. S- yeah, this idea filter. of filtering that we filter. Yeah, we used yeah. to think plus or seven minus, and that's slightly mm. adapted. But yeah, we we filter information all the time, and we're as you know overwhelmed with information at, at the moment. So I think it's really important to filter yeah. what we want, especially in our businesses. Yeah, but I'm hearing, and I always say, oh, I get a little bit nervous about the woo woo, and but. And I wondered if it was my age that I was becoming more open to hear and listen to what people have to say. But the number of people that have said over the last six months, they have become more open to different conversations. And, you know, on a very practical level, I truly believe that if you're looking for the positives, like you say, then you go seeking out those positives. And if you're in a positive mindset, then you will seek the opportunities and spot the opportunities that are there for you. Absolutely, 100%. And I don't fetishise being positive. Mm. You know, sometimes we're not. Sometimes things feel really tough and we don't feel okay. And that is fine. It's it's great to just accept you do not feel okay that day. Um, But we don't want to do that at the expense of the positive feelings so I think it's really important to know that we do have cognitive bias we do as humans we're primed to notice when there are threats when there are dangers and so we're going to notice the negative more you know this you know if somebody gives you feedback and they say one and you could improve so they could give you five minutes of amazing feedback and then they say and wait you know you could have done this I would have liked it if you'd have done more than this and that's all you hear is the is the bit that feels like a criticism Mm. so we know we have this negativity bias and so to me it's really important to do things that counteract that because we're already good at being negative we're good at worrying we don't really need any help with that but what we do need help with is keeping our um what I would call like a joy receptor sharp and and for me that's a really pragmatic practice I write down three things every morning and every night that I'm grateful for that make that have given me some joy um, and it just keeps your filters set. It just keeps you f- reminding you 
that even now in the middle of this global pandemic, who would have guessed, um, there are things that, that enrich my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's looking for it in the unexpected as well, isn't it? Because I I try and write down three things every night, but I read somewhere to try five mm. because three, you can find three quite easily, mm. but sometimes five is more of a challenge. So you actually yeah. have to go looking for them. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to set the scene here because if anybody, I mean, this is obviously audio, but because of the situation with COVID, I've not been able to use my office today. And the, the wonderful lady that uh, manages my offices has allowed me to use one of the suites. So <laughs> actually, Wendy and I are in this fabulous suite with this huge, um, very glamorous bed. And double we've decided bed. Double bed. <laughs> and we've decided that we actually look a little bit uh, Paula Yates-esque. Um, on the big breakfast for those that can reference that so uh, you know but we've had a real giggle about that and and it's finding those moments in the day that feed your soul a little bit yeah absolutely and almost without exception for me those moments and it's not the same for everyone but I think we really lean toward this those those moments are about connection with other people as well I I thrive on that and I think just walking these are these are things we've missed at the moment in in with the covid restrictions but these little connections that we make with other people are often the things that they're just a ray of sunshine in our day and if we're open to those connections it can be a great thing and it makes me sad that we put we seem to be asked to put all that away in our briefcase when we walk into work right well let's let's follow this path then because Mm -hmm. This is something that I feel so strongly about and I think you will take it to an even greater level. But my, you've talked about connectivity there and for true fulfilment, for true success, I believe it's about relationships and engaging and it's about people. Mm-hmm. And people on this podcast have heard me said so many times, it's not what you do, it's how, who you are mm-hmm. and it's how you do it. Mm-hmm. So why do so many people pack up their personality at the door? And these are people, I remember hearing Mary Porter say, um, you know, she said, I know some fabulous fathers. And it's not just men, but she was talking about mm-hmm. it in uh, in a female bias mm-hmm. um, conversation. But so many brothers, fathers, husbands that mm-hmm. are life and soul, the warmest, most mm-hmm. wonderful people, mm-hmm. but they put on this professional front when they get to the office. And you and I know plenty of women that do the same. Why do we do this? And why do we even think it's not professional? Like, what does professional mean? And I, I think that's the answer to your question. Uh, uh, so my opinion about that is that we have been told what professional means and I think it's inaccurate. Mm. I think we have equated professional with uh, inhuman or, or somehow, um, I, I don't mean this as a gender laden word, but, uh, but a macho culture mm-hmm. equals um, professional mm. and it's, it's just a unhelpful I think it's wrong I think it's unhelpful and the evidence base is that it's not true we don't make successful organization Alan Sugar if you're listening you have not helped this situation (laughs) you're fired yeah but but the idea of what what a professional is Mm. 
Um, it hasn't just been that people have woken up and thought we'll do that. I think how we organise businesses and our organisations is is one thing. One of the areas I work in, um, a big area I work in, is with professionals who, in their day, in the course of their day to day work, they come across really difficult, distressing material. So I do a lot of work with health professionals, with police, with criminal and family law barristers and solicitors. This is material that can be really, really difficult social workers my original profession was Mm -hmm. in social work you're dealing with really really hard stuff and um, increasingly we've reduced the personal connection in that to being quite formulaic and targets and that we have to meet all these targets I understand why but I think that contributes to this lie that being professional means being unfeeling and so in those sectors of work, you hear people all the time, and I really challenge this, I really challenge this. And, and there's a really um, prolific language around things like, you develop a thick skin. It's like water off a duck's back. I was going to back. ask you this, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't bother you after a while, you get used to it. Oh, it's just my job. Um, I, that, that. And, and this idea of busyness that I just work through so that I'm just constantly working nurses are a nightmare thank you sorry to all the nurses out there I love you dearly and you know who you are if I work with you but this is certainly a thing in nursing social work law if you've had time for a wee in the last three weeks are you even a nurse Do, yeah. you know and we wear that like a badge of honor absolutely but actually Deborah that's called neglect mm. and burnout mm. and those qualities that we are looking at that we are wearing as calling it professional saying we don't care about people we don't we things don't affect us we're not impacted by this horror that we're seeing that is actually an emotional shutting down that is burnout that is not clever it's not something to be proud of and is that is that a barrier that people Put up. So we're talking about two separate areas, I suppose, here in my mind, that you've got the horrors that people see and the very difficult yeah. situations. So is that a coping mechanism, yeah. a barrier that they put up on one side? But then the flip side of that, and I know you do a lot within the legal profession, mm-hmm. where, I, you know, I, I trained mm-hmm. as a lawyer and have, have work a lot in that profession as well. But I was talking to a client yesterday who said how unsympathetic some of the bigger law firms Mm. have been during this time when it Mm. comes to childcare. Mm. And if there's a call to be taken at two o'clock in the morning, then you find out a Mm. way of doing that. Now, I know not all firms are like Mm. that, and that's the last thing I'm implying. Mm. But this badge of honour, this, you know, I've worked all the hours and I've worked through and I've not had a day off Mm. and I'm coping and... Are people really coping? There's sort of two areas to that, Mm. aren't there? I don't think they are coping, but I think they don't know that because we haven't been told, we haven't been educated. Mm. And I think the world has run away with us. So, you know, businesses like this, and not just these businesses, I'm concentrating on those businesses because they're the ones that I do the most work with. Your experience lies in that area. It it does. But but any business person, I know lots of different business people in different sectors, and there's a very similar culture that Mm. you have to hustle, you have to be in it, you know have to sacrifice everything for it you have to live and breathe it and I would say that partly it's a defense mechanism so it actually is about protecting you our brains as we said earlier they're really good at filtering danger and horror and and seeing where where something awful is happening and and people they can cope with that 
But when we get to a point where the only resource we have to protect ourselves from it is to shut down emotionally and to be quite brutal in response sometimes, to be unfeeling in situations where some feeling is required, um, then I would argue that, yeah, we can do that. Um, And it's not that people are horrible people. Everybody I meet is actually lovely. I very rarely meet people who are not lovely, but we haven't been taught how to behave any differently in this environment. Mm -hmm. And so we develop these defence mechanisms which are unhelpful, and they're unhelpful for two reasons. One is because emotions don't work one way. So if we are going into work and we are numbing ourselves Mm -hmm. from emotional connection, and that might hurt sometimes because we might be dealing with horrible people or a business partner might have been a bit miffed with us that day and it might have upset us. Um, Difficult feedback. Difficult feedback, yeah. 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 So if we numb ourselves from that, unfortunately, we've brought down an emotional shutter. We can't then numb ourselves from the joy. We we can't then be open to the joy. Mm. And so what happens when we get home, Deborah? Mm. Do we just suddenly bring the shutters up and like, oh, okay, we're open to receptive feedback now and Mm. able to embrace our children and experience joy? No, most people find that after a while, the shutters are down on their emotions and they're just really finding it hard to process any emotions, not just the difficult ones, but the positive ones as well. Wow, yeah. And that's frightening, isn't it? It is frightening. And I can hear people now saying, it's frightening, but don't worry, I'm not here to depress you. (laughs) I've got some good news. The good news is that I can hear people say, well, you know, getting the real world love, this is, you know, in business, it is cut and thrust. And I I don't know what ego thing keeps people in that space. But but what I know, the evidence is that organisations that thrive are organisations where people feel they have friends and human connection at work. There's really clear evidence to show that's the case. And in those organisations, people have higher levels of um, uh, engagement with the organisation, loyal to the organisation, and they're bigger advocates for their organisation. Is that because you have permission to feel and you have permission to feel at both ends of the spectrum so you can have that joy and share Mm -hmm. the joy as a team? But also during difficult times, you share the concerns, the challenges, but that has to come from the top, doesn't it? That has to be modelled from the top. Yeah, it it absolutely has to be modelled from the top. And if self-compassion, self-care, this idea that we can hear hard things, we can hear difficult feedback and still be okay people can deliver difficult feedback to us and still be kind to us and we'll still have a coffee together and actually it will help me it's well intentioned if we can have this lovely learning attitude to mistakes to work um to everything in our environment including our workplace then it makes us more secure and i think the reason that has a great knock-on effect to businesses is because we become more invested absolutely and and it goes back to i know we you know it, it we talk all the time about we don't fail, we learn from our mistakes. Mm. But I was listening to um, a chap, I think he's called Tom 
Bilyeu, I don't know how to pronounce it, and uh, he was on uh, Dr. Wrong and Chatterjee's um, podcast, and he was saying that he's changed his mindset in that he's always learning. Mm. And if his part of his identity, and I want to talk to you about identity in a minute, but part of his identity is I'm always learning. I'm never going to be the finished article, which Mm. none of us are, are Mm. we? But he said, therefore, whatever you throw at me, Mm. that's feedback, and therefore I'm learning from it. Mm. And I thought, okay, I, I can take some of that to a mm. certain point mm. but then I was listening to somebody else talking about feedback and and I know you and I both love Brene Brown and her work in Daring Greatly but she talks about you know being in the arena and if somebody so I have clients when I'm talking about visibility and putting a video out mm. on Facebook or and and I think LinkedIn is becoming quite a difficult area at the mm. moment it can be quite judgy mm. And my clients are saying to me, I'm, I'm nervous putting information out there. But actually, unless somebody else is in your business, in your situation, also putting content out there and being brave enough to do it, yeah, what gives them the permission, the right to give you that feedback from the... Yeah, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why, oh, yeah, this is why I always think people. It's this isn't just about being open to negative feedback or being kind to everybody and discriminatory, but it is about if we are kind to ourselves. If we start off with some compassion for ourselves, compassion. I know I'm going around the houses here, but bear with me. <laughs> That I think this is what is at the bottom of it. And it really is my area of interest. When we talk about, I remember speaking to a room full of police and saying, you know, hands up who thinks compassion <laughs> is a really big part of your uh, job spec and nobody raised their hands. And then when I explained that compassion is from the Latin, uh, two Latin words that mean with suffering, mm. with suffering, compassion. Mm. Um, who thinks that every day they spend time with other people suffering? every hand in the room went up and how good do you think you are at that and they all hands up like that is something I'm really good at I might not have been when I joined the force Mm. but actually dealing with people in suffering however that manifests itself is a skill of mine they can judge when somebody needs some care when somebody needs actually they're dangerous because their suffering is that they're acting out in a way that might put other people at risk they're good at this and then I asked them Uh, How many people are comfortable with the idea of self-compassion, sitting with your own suffering? And there was a lot of uncomfortable Mm -hmm. feeling in the room. Uh, And I think this is at the bottom of that question you've just asked for. It's not about being um, judging people as all being lovely or judging all feedback as being well-intentioned and great. We can pretend that, Mm -hmm. but it still hurts. I'm still uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. negative feedback, but I do try to listen. Um, But it is about starting with ourselves. If we start work on ourselves and we start with self-compassion, how is it to sit with your own discomfort or or suffering Mm. uh, then we're more capable of going out into the world and into the workplace and coping with discomfort in a way that doesn't bring us to a place where we're just defensive or we attack other people for making us feel that way so the more comfortable we become with our own discomfort whether that's the discomfort of feedback or the discomfort of dealing with horror in people's lives then the more open we can be in the connections that we make in life so somebody might be brutal and be being quite unkind in their feedback and the skill then is to 
be able to hear it, notice the hurt in yourself when that happens. I think, wow, that was hard. Um, and respond to, to yourself with self-compassion. I'm just going to take a minute here. I don't have to respond immediately because I feel threatened. You're more likely to respond better to that person in the workplace mm. uh, than if we just act on autopilot. I don't know whether that makes any sense, Deborah, in response to your question. It, it does, and I can't remember what the original question <laughs> it was. was about, but it, what about feedback that's difficult? Yeah. And how do you go, oh, it's great having feedback when it doesn't feel great? Absolutely. And th- this, my mind's going in all different directions here when you're talking about this, but that self-compassion, mm. if we allow compassion for ourselves then surely to really have compassion for other people we have to have true self-compassion a hundred percent and again this is something that the research shows so again if I take you back to some of the professions I work with at the moment there are beautiful people writing caring standards back into nursing manuals they're writing caring standards Mm -hmm. why do we have to write that you have to care for people in caring industries. Well, but the answer isn't that people are horrible. It's that we've been reduced to targets and thing, and people are dealing with trauma in their day-to-day life. That's hard. To, it's then hard to connect emotionally. But you mentioned Brenia Brown earlier, and she did some wonderful research, which I think is integral to this, which shows that people, it, not just her, there are other researchers as well that back mm-hmm. this up, that we are, as humans, we are incapable of giving. They use the word love, so I'm going to use a few different words. So they were incapable of giving love to other people to a greater extent than we can to ourselves. Mm. So parents struggle with this idea. Mm. They go, no, I'd do anything. I'd lay down my life for my child. You probably would. But the conditions we put on ourselves, the conditional love we give to ourselves, Mm. we give to other people as well. We can't help ourselves. I used to have a problem with overwork. So I know that that's something that I've got to be really careful not to project on my children. Yes. That when they're having a sick day, <laughs> there is a little, <laughs> I can do one. All right, love, have you, do you want some medicine? Do you want that? And then like the second time, I'm like, no, you don't understand. You have to go to school. If you that's want to go to football, like, you've yeah, got to go to school. You've got to do it. <laughs> and this is my lack of, you see, this is, I have a problem with overwork. Mm. I have a condition of worth about working hard. Wow. And I can't help but pull that onto my children. So this awareness helps me stop stop doing that but this idea that we yeah absolutely we can't give to others to a greater extent than we can give to ourselves so if that goes for love it sure as hell goes for care it sure as hell goes for patience it sure as hell goes for um just being open-minded so if we restrict ourselves we we restrict what we see of other people i think it was einstein that said the biggest decision you will ever make is whether you live in a friendly or a hostile world. Mm. And I agree with that. I think sometimes we just have to be brave enough to choose to live in a friendly world. And people think that makes you weak, uh, that you might be vulnerable if you do that. But I know 100% the people who come to my practice, the people I work with in workplaces, this stuff is the hardest stuff you'll ever do. Well... I'm going to give you a a really sort of unusual 
example of that, but I can't even remember what the television programme was called, but it's the programme that was on a few months ago where couples race to go across South America. <gasps> do you know the programme I mean? I was going to apply to do it with, oh, wow. with Miriam from Miriam Kitchen Table. Race oh, around the world. Next year, race, race around, around the, the world. world. And there was a, a couple on there and... Um, can't remember a name, so I'm giving you half a story, which my husband <laughs> says I do all the time, but never mind. And there were two of them, they were from Reading. I can just see them both now. And he had a hearing challenge. And wife could be quite challenging at times. And there's a, there was a moment when she said, and it really made me sit up and think that she was in the villages and the first time they went out in the middle of nowhere and all the children were around them and she said I was sort of holding onto my purse and worrying what they wanted mm -hmm. from me and there was a moment when she got sort of however many weeks in and she just released that mm -hmm. fear mm -hmm. and just thought let me see the good in these people mm -hmm. and she said as soon as I started looking for the good in these people mm -hmm. it changed her whole experience mm -hmm. and um it's funny because I can be a bit nervous in the dark or mm. in isolated places. Mm. And when we were on holiday, this this we went to Anglesey and the boys went off playing football and I decided to walk the coastal walk and it's isolated. And so I set off and I thought, well, I'll just go for 10 minutes. And I just thought, go on, be brave, Deborah, mm. just go a bit further. Mm. And it was just one of the most wonderful things. Mm. I lost myself on mm. my own. And I had to just sit and think afterwards and thought it, it took that, stepping out of my comfort zone that fear mm. is a very personal fear of mine but to you know see the good in it yeah what's going to go wrong here yeah. without being reckless yeah what's going to go wrong here yeah. so two slightly off tangent examples but I, I totally try and live my life by that now. I think they're brilliant examples and I think if we transfer that to the workplace and to how we behave there the same goes it's brave to do this it's not this it's not something that makes you a weak victim this is something that actually takes guts and the results are because you 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 said then two situations where there might actually be danger mm. um so and absolutely i'm not saying to people mm. that be reckless mm. go into situations that make you vulnerable at work or that make you vulnerable in life what i am saying is that when we become good at recognizing what our body needs uh, uh, compassion about uh, being okay with our feelings we get better at them and what that means is we're actually much better when we do sense danger mm. so we're more able to trust our instinct mm. it, it, much more able to trust our instinct than in day-to-day -day life if you were walking around normally with this really overworking uh hyper focused hypersensitive fear-based um, culture that we grow in many, many, many of our organisations and in our lives, this idea that everybody's, everything's a hustle, everything's mm. out to get you, it's dog eat dog, then actually you're just keeping your brain in fight or flight all mm. the time. And what we know about that is, A, we make less good decisions, B, our judgment is skewed, so we see, we literally see in a tunnel visioned 
our peripheral vision literally narrows wow. when we are in that state. So it's not just the negative bias no, you talk about. Physically, it's a physical. It's physical. We okay. physically see what's in front of us, and that for, in evolutionary terms, this was useful. We needed to just focus on the predator mm. ahead, mm-hmm. not be thinking about the lovely tree in the background, <laughs> of course. Um, but but now all our predators are invisible. They're the bad email, the deadline. Can we pay the mortgage? These are what our brains are responding to now in the same way as our primitive brain was responding to a predator. And so when we're kept in this constant state of fear, it actually makes our judgment less good. Mm. And that doesn't, and it also means even, we would be even worse at responding to threatening situations. Mm. So we know that people who have a more open mindset, who were calmer physiologically, they did some beautiful research with some Buddhist monks who'd meditated for, you know, like 500 years, <laughs> not literally, but they'd, they'd meditated a lot of their lives. And um, they were really surprised to find that their startle response was massive. It was really super quick. Mm. And I guess they thought it, they'd be like, they picture they'd lose zen, it. calm. Yeah, yeah. But no, their, zen, their, their startle response was immense, but it came down very quickly. So they reacted in a heartbeat mm. very quickly quickly an extreme reaction and then their physiology calmed very very quickly and this is the kind of thing we really need in real life we need to be able to when there is real danger we need to be able to judge it and Mm. see it for what it is and respond but then bring ourselves back down and don't take that as the story of our life and what work Mm. is or what relationships are or whatever we can just treat it as a one-off incident um, Mm. and get on with living yeah, so that in some ways goes back to what I was talking about before. I was going to ask you before about some people define themselves by that, don't they? Mm-hmm. Define themselves by, you know, it's part of their identity mm-hmm. that they're always hustling. And yeah. oh, this word hustle, it's there all <laughs> the time at the moment. And I just can't believe that if, well, it's exactly what you're saying. If you're in that heightened state of hustle, you're going to be doing your best work. It always yeah. reminds me of the jar of um, jar of water with sand in it. Shake yeah. it up and down and it's murky. But if you just let it settle a bit, then yeah. you get that clarity. But so when you're working with people, how do you challenge that um, sort of badge of honour? So that ego, mm. that alpha mm. male or female, that yeah. alpha, you know, it, it, this is the way you want to be. It makes me think of um, the Gordon Gecko type, you yeah. know, <laughs> only wimps have lunch or whatever it was. And I think we've moved on from that, I hope. Only just. But there is, yeah, but there is this sort of culture and some people wear that busyness. Mm. You, I, I picked up a phrase off the... Um, off your website that I thought was amazing. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. Socrates. I think it was Socrates. Yeah, Yeah. it was. uh, Well, according to you, it was. (laughs) And and, um, I just thought, wow. And I can remember a friend of mine who was a lawyer saying, we'd only be very young. And she said, you know, I am earning so much money. I've got more money than I know what to do with and more money than I have the time Mm -hmm. to spend Mm. she said I haven't had a day off Mm. I haven't had a holiday Mm. and I know now that that person it did burn out Mm. and that went on not quite literally but Mm. for so long Mm. that she now looks back and says I Mm. wish I'd 
I burn out, Deborah. I was doing that. The, that. This phrase you've just said, I have that written on my wall at home. Mm. And that's not an encouraging, lovely. It's a warning for mm. me. That is a warning, a daily warning that I look at. Because some people, we're laughing about the kind of alpha, mm. but some people just are like that. I yeah. just am an achiever. I'm someone who I love a list. I like the control of having a lift. I've had, you know, in my life, I have had to survive. I've had to do difficult things. And that puts you in a state of heightened fight or flight that is mm. really hard to get out of because that because it serves you. Being able to hustle, being able to fight your way out of difficult situations serves you. The skill, the art is knowing when to let go and be, of those abilities and knowing when you don't need them. And that's something I definitely struggled with. And why it's my passion now. I'm not there to say to people, oh, there's one right way and you're wrong if you're a hustler. But I am there to question. And, and you asked what my approach is. And my approach is to question and to work with people on two levels. I work with what they're thinking. I'm a psychotherapist. But also I work physiologically because stress is physical. Mm. We think of it as a mental health issue and it kind of is. But actually it's in our body. Our body is kicking out chemicals that are interplaying with our psychology. Mm. And so... As people start doing some of the practices that I'll talk to them about, just starting to push their boundaries, be a bit braver. And for some people, that's about letting go of some control or calming their physiology or not taking their work phone on holiday with mm. them. That's really brave. That's anxiety provoking for those people. Mm. So this um, uh, easing people into physical practices that start to help their physiology lower help gives me a little bit of room to work with their psychology and you know this behavior you're talking about this alpha targeting <laughs> orientated stuff I absolutely relate to but what I need to do now and what I try to help other people to do if that's them not everybody is like that and they have different needs is to work with their tendency I'm never going to be that Buddhist monk even though I am a qualified NBSR mindfulness teacher I'm never going to be sitting calmly on a cushion doing that with you well I do train but you know what I know is I can very easily prioritise work over everything else. I can very easily get into an anxiety response where I get a God complex. And I think if I don't work with that difficult piece of work, nobody else can do it. It's all relying on me. Nobody else will do it properly. I, I, I can easily go to that place. Um, but And I know that the tools I use to keep myself in that place when I'm, this is a stress response. It's not a brave, great thing. It's mm. a stress response. And when I'm in that so stress response. So that's a reaction, it's is a it, reaction. rather than a conscious yeah. reaction. And it is with most people. Mm. It's a, mm. you can't get off the treadmill. You can't. Mm. It scares you to get off of it. You feel like if you stop, you might never start again. And that's terrifying for people. Or if they stop, they might look at themselves and doubt themselves. And that's terrifying for people. So you have to be kind and gentle when you're working with people in this arena. And for me, I know one of the tools I have to keep myself in a bad place is exactly the tool that I have to use to keep myself in a good place. And that is my lists, my diary, my targets. I will use them. I could literally fill 20, if I didn't have to sleep and eat, I could happily spend in a stress response 24 hours a day working. So what got you to the point, at what point did you say, because I, I've worked, I, I can remember working with somebody and um, in a team and, and one of my colleagues was a GP and we were concerned about the person that was working with us and this friend of mine that's the GP said, 
you know, a breakdown doesn't happen. And I, I, mm. I know it's audio, but I'm mm. sort of modeling with my yeah. hand, the sort of slow, gradual yeah. decline. She said, that isn't what happens. You're on the cliff and you fall off the cliff. <laughs> and that was quite a shock to me. So what point did you get to and you just thought, this is enough. I d- developed an overactive thyroid, mm-hmm. which is quite a scary condition to have. And interestingly, your body literally is in fight or flight right, all okay. the time. Yeah. So I am absolutely, con- and this is a bit woo-woo, my consultant disagrees with me. I'll say that now in case he's <laughs> listening. But I feel very strongly that that was partially induced by my overworking tendencies that mm. I absolutely could not overwork. And as I say, that had served me well. It had got me out of difficult situations just working 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 um not accepting no for an answer being able to cope with anything and so this made me ill I I had an overactive thyroid you lose weight very drastically my hair was falling out I would literally you shake your body has gone into overdrive your metabolism goes quicker your heart rate goes quicker you're in a state a heightened state of fight or flight and I just thought it was normal I didn't even notice I had it and I thought that was just normal. It's just stress at work. And I remember sitting in a doctor's surgery and the GP saying, you could die if you don't stop. You could die. You could actually go into a thyroid crisis and die. And so you need to stop. And honestly, in that moment, Deborah, I'd love to say that was the moment that I, I was really pulled up, but it wasn't. I looked at her and thought, you stupid woman, what are you talking about? What do you mean stop? You might as well just say, go to the moon. Yeah. That is the most ridiculous thing. I've got four kids, my own business, all this other stuff, you know, and other pieces of work I do for other people. Mm. And I just walked out. I just walked out. And it was was afterward as it started to sink in that actually, if this is a physical illness, maybe there is a, maybe I do have to manage it physically. Um, and maybe I do have to cut back on some of the things that I'm doing, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I can't even, I won't even go into what I was doing at the time. It, now I look back, I think that is absolutely ridiculous what I thought yeah. I could do all at the same time. Um, and and was that part of your identity? Because we're all very good at, you know, trying to be superwoman. You know, you're yeah. a great mum, you're a great business person, you're a great friend, you're a great daughter. Yeah. So we're all very good at, uh, you know, trying to live this. Yeah. I was going to say myth, because I think sometimes we're trying to achieve something that's often unachievable. A complete myth. It's a complete myth. And I, I and we pretend and we perpetuate it to other people. And some people can function at a higher level than others, a busier level, and mm. be okay, and others not. But what's interesting in busy is not, does not equate to productive. Mm. So I was really busy. I was working all the time. And now I am much less busy. I said earlier the tools that kept me in that difficult place, like my diary, my to-do list, my tick list, they're the tools I use now. But I'm really brutal with myself. So I know that that's always going to be my tendency. I'm always going to have a... I'm all, the, the to-do list at work is always going to be a pull to me. And I can forget to feed the kids or pay attention to my husband because mm, there's a to-do mm, list. Mm. So now what I have to do is I have to add the things that I have to do for my well-being to the to-do list. Okay. So yeah. this is my strategy. And this is where I... When I'm working with people, you have to go to where people are. So you, if you looked at my diary, it would have... 
Um, I colour code it so I can see where there's self-care stuff in there. I can see where there's family stuff there. I can see where there's work stuff there. My work stuff is orange and green, depending on which work it is. And if my whole, if left to its own devices, my whole diary could be orange and green. So just looking at it, I can see that's unbalanced. And I know I have to factor in some other colours. I and have, you have to, to make that in. choice as well. Then I have I to make a choice. choice is yeah. a big thing here. Yeah, but it's not always a choice if you're in an anxiety spiral because okay. you feel compelled mm. to keep doing it. You're scared mm. of not doing it. So for me, I write on my to-do list the well-being things that I need to do that day. So I write stop work at this time. I write have some water. Have I drunk the amount of water mm. I need that day? Have I eaten that mm. day? So those really, it sounds simple, um, but they allow you to calm your physiology, to have nutrients, to do the things you need. And sometimes this is the stuff I'm doing with people in the workplace. It sounds really obvious, yeah. but they're not doing these really basic things to stay well. And then we can move on to, okay, now you've given yourself a breath and a little bit of space. Then you can get onto strategy planning. What okay. do you want to do in your work? What brings you joy in your work? It's hard to see that stuff when you're in an anxiety spiral and you're just feeding the machine and just work, work, work. So, and I, I'm, I'm conscious of time, but I just want to ask you about culture because we've talked about the professions, but it's not just the professions. It's, it's in business and... Motherhood. Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, because of the external pressures and the added pressures in business at the moment as well be it that a business is incredibly busy because of uh, what they supply or manufacture or their service is supporting covid uh not supporting covid you know what i mean yeah, yeah. or the, the response or because they are making people redundant whatever it is so if you're working in that environment how can people as a leader, how can you start to introduce more well-being? But also, if you are a person within an organisation that is incredibly, you know, it is, this is the way it is, and we wear our busyness or our, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Our over resilience, over-functioning, <laughs> yeah. thank you, as a badge of honour. What can people do? Because the reality is that, is happening, isn't it? It is happening. And the reality is we do need people to be really hardworking and adaptive at the moment. Mm. My point is, um, in order to be hardworking and adapting, counterintuitively, you need to look being able to look after yourself and pause yeah. allows you to do that. So mm. we think that running around like a headless chicken, being looking busy is that's what that's what bosses are looking for bosses want outcome good bosses want outputs they want to see did did what we need to happen happen plus some value and you get that from people when they're functioning well so you look after people they do the job they look after the business the prop you mentioned the bosses here what does a boss do what does a manager do honestly if any bosses are listening i'm sorry the news is you start with yourself mm. you will always impact you can tell people till the cows come home you know that don't worry about taking that extra hour or take what time you need or if you need to work around the children do that if they find you not modeling that they're going to do what you do so you have to model that. Mm. And I know that there will be people there thinking, oh, she doesn't understand. She's not in this world. I promise you, I promise you, I have been in very difficult situations um, at work. 
very difficult situations generally, I still say this, it's the hardest thing in the world. So start with yourself. If you're the boss, look inward, start with yourself, sort out your own well-being and see what comes of it. It's often not a strategy. Well-being isn't something in my approach anyway, that you can't just set up a well-being room and expect people to go and sit and relax in it. It's cultural. Mm. It has to be modelled um, and it's not about all turning up in yoga tights. Well, you might want to, but it's not about that. It, it, it's about being aware of what puts you in a prime position of well-being to allow you to give out to the extent that you need to give out in your work. And this idea of giving out, of breathing out. You know, we can't breathe out all the time, Deborah. You have to take a breath in mm. at some point. So my invitation to people, if they are in a position of authority at work is... Be brave enough to take a breath in. See what happens. See what happens when you work on yourself and then you develop your strategy from that. That's then your business. You embed the well-being from that. So actually, this is about... It's about being it rather than doing it, isn't it? So it's about a way of life and mm. there's no there's no point putting Tuesday morning is well-being morning in the strategy. No, no. It's got to be... And if be, you don't turn up, you're all fired. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to be a thread and, you know, it's, it's the old story of you join the gym, but you've got to mm. absolutely mm. embrace it and make it part of your life. Mm. And if any well-being, it has to be something that you can manage and when I'm talking to people about impact quite often I talk about their well-being or taking time out or because your impact is only as good as you're only going to put out your your performance is only as good as the state that you are in so and I think people are surprised because when I talk about personal brand, everybody thinks it's about a curated Instagram yeah. feed. And we were talking again off mic. I saw something yesterday that said, can you imagine the horror? And this is beginning to happen now that we are living a performance rather mm. than living our lives. Mm. And I just thought it made me stop and mm. write it down and think about it mm. because there is this projection, if you like, a performance but it's about being authentic and true and, and living it and being it. Mm. And it comes back to that self-compassion. If we do that, then we give other people permission mm. to do the same. We absolutely do. And it's very easy to say, be authentic and be yourself. But sometimes we don't know who we are. We're so lost in this spiral of who we should be and what things, what people think and what is expected of us at work and what's the culture and why do I feel like I'm supposed to feel in this situation? Mm. It's hard to get a sense of who you are. And, and that's why this pause is really necessary, really necessary, especially now I'm really conscious of time so and I know we could chat forever can't we because there's a whole new thing there about this idea of everything being a performance yeah. um, but it worries me at the, at the moment and I think this what I'm saying about being very grounded in what you know feels good for you I Now, I don't really make, I'm going to come full woo-woo, now I'm going to come full back to how we started, which makes me sound like a right old hippie, um, but I'm not at all, I'm very, very pragmatic, but I have now come to a point where I make very few decisions, I'm very wedded to business plans and tick boxes, but the truth is, uh, I make my decisions based on whether they feel right or not. If I get a certain feeling, 
that's a good thing to do. I don't really have to think it through. And inevitably, if I ignore the feeling, I've got something at the moment that I need to do that I committed to knowing I should have said no. Mm. I didn't have a good feeling about it when I said yes. Mm. I'll do it because I committed to it. And mm. now I'm I'm holding that as a real reminder that I am not enjoy doing this piece of work. Mm. It's mm. not something that is thrilling me and I don't look forward to it. And I know that can't be all of my work, um, but I could have avoided that one. <laughs> yeah, and that comes back to the self-compassion and boundaries, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is a whole other uh, story for another day. But by, I think people think putting boundaries in is a bad thing, but actually by saying no, that stops you going into a situation where... 100%, 100%. That it's much braver to, in the moment, say no that's just not right for me and and it wasn't uh, because I made what what often when we make the wrong decision it's a fear-based decision so when we do something because we're scared we won't get another piece of work or we're scared that person won't like us or we're scared that we've missed an opportunity that everybody in the world is telling you you have to have uh, or we're scared that these are bad where this is a bad frame of mind to make a decision you you make decisions that are opportunity focused joy-filled that make you feel like oh I would love to do that. Make that decision. But but the fear-based ones are quite compelling. Mine wasn't a fear-based one, actually. It was a big-headed thing. It was a flattery. Mm. So someone mm. asked me to do something, and I was like, oh, yeah, that would look great. But actually, it would look great, but I don't love actually doing that yeah. piece of work. Yeah. So I've got myself into that, and you can all learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit, there's, and I think I might have mentioned this before, but Oprah says... Um, you know, everybody sees what sees Oprah, but actually the bit that we all see is only 2% of Oprah and everybody would love to be Oprah, but that's only 2% and the other 98% is a lot of hard work and perhaps stuff that you don't want to be doing and not enjoyable quite the same. And and I think that's that's fascinating. So in these tricky times, Mm. um, both personally and in a business environment, from a resilience point of view, and I'm thinking about the people you work with, whether that's in schools, um, we've not even touched on, you know, that's a whole kind of worms, Mm. isn't it? Mm. The the, the fallout from children and mental health, but, you know, schools, police, uh, the professions, lawyers, barristers, what is the one thing, if there was just one thing that you could advise people to do, one takeaway from today, what would it be? At this moment in time, as we're speaking now, and this uh, reaction to this pandemic has obviously been so disruptive and so unusual, I think people have had very varied responses as it's gone along. But as we speak now, we're about six months in and we've hit surge capacity. So I would say that at this moment, people are starting to feel exhausted they feel physically exhausted they feel mentally exhausted Uh, um, it's very difficult for many people that I'm meeting at the moment to have a sense of hope and purpose maybe this sort of blitz spirit that they managed to conjure up in month two and three after they'd stopped just surviving and thriving has started to wear off and people are starting to be irritated by their neighbours again (laughs) and uh, you know annoyed at work and feeling restricted again um I think the thing I would say to people is this is normal. Our physiology is meant to deal with disaster for around six months-ish. So if this was a natural disaster or a war situation, you know, we know that soldiers who are redeployed on six-monthly um, basis fare better than ones who, okay. who are longer. So this kind of 
threat, this kind of existential, and mm. it feels like a real physical threat mm. to many people, is, uh, is about six months is our capacity, and then we can hit a wall. And I would say at the moment, many people have hit a wall. Uh, 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 definitely, I'm seeing this a lot. Um, uh, and what I would say is that this wall is can be temporary, is temporary, but what we can do to make it last longer and possibly lead to burnout is just try to push through. So this is the wrong thing to do. So if you have hit that wall at the moment um, and you're really struggling to just get any motivation, to see any hope, then my suggestion is to just have some self-compassion around those feelings, to allow yourself to stop. There are things you can't stop. So for me, I can't stop work. So I have then that's a necessity. I need to still give my basic services um, to my clients and I want to do that. I want to maintain my relationships with people I love and I need and want to fuel my body. So those are the three necessary things in my life. Outside of that, I have dropped everything else, Deborah. And I would I would really encourage people, if they hit a wall, to do the same. You can focus on work, but even then, I'm not doing loads of development stuff. Mm. It's literally delivering the service. Um, and I can do that well. I'm doing remembering I've got a husband and children and trying to pay attention to them and nourish my connections there. And... Um, remembering to physically look after myself I could tell you go out and do lots of well-being things that you need to go running you need to connect with people and in normal times that is true we do need to keep fit we need to eat well we need to connect with people we need to let our brain have relaxation time um, we need to do creative things in normal times right now if you want to lie on the sofa eating bacon sandwiches and watching Harry Potter, which is what I spent a little bit of time doing the other week, <laughs> that's your self-care and that is fine. So I just say, accept that this is normal to hit a wall, go with the wall, <laughs> discharge your basic duties. And then if you want to go for a run, that's great. If you want to sit around feeling sorry for yourself, that's also great. And it will pass. We're probably looking at a few weeks of really having to, um, you know, the Danish word hygge, mm, yeah. this idea, and it's appropriate that we're coming into autumn. Mm. So this idea that we need to sort of batten down the hatches, snuggle in, recharge ourselves, allow ourselves to just not be capable of very much at the moment outside of our basic responsibilities. And we will come out the other end, we'll come out stronger, we'll come out rested, we'll come out refueled. And we won't come out in the same position as we went into the pandemic because we've already done it. We know we can survive because we have done for the last six months. Mm. So we'll come out at a better position than we were going into it. Thank you. I can't add to that. Thank you so much, Wendy. Really enjoyed the conversation and so much to think about. Oh, Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Deborah. Thank you. <laughs> hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, the Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. 
hope you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With. I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.